0: Your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world today is Monday, November 23rd. What a year 2020 has been for the professional tennis world. It started off with wildfires that threatened whether we would be able to play anything in Australia. Of course, from there, tennis, one of the first sports to cancel following COVID-19 sweeping across the globe. It started with the cancellation of Indian Wells, Miami. Of course, then five and a half months of no professional tennis. and It sounds crazy to say, but here we sit now about eight months later with the 2020 ATP and WTA seasons almost officially in the books and I mean look what a fun ending to the season we had certainly on the women's side was so fun watching Arena Sabalenka win back-to-back titles we've talked about that on this podcast before today we have to talk about Neil Medvedev ending his season on a 10 match winning streak as well he sweeps through the action in Paris and then here it in the year-end finals in London knocks off number one in the world Novak Djokovic, number two in the world Rafael Nadal, and number three in the world Dominic Thiem to earn his first year-end championship. Now, of course, on today's podcast, we'll talk about how Daniil Medvedev earned that title, what his semifinal weekend looked like, the level of tennis we saw, of course, in that final against Dominic Thiem. Also want to talk about Brandon Nakashima, who, of course, had a big breakthrough himself this week as he went on to win his first challenger title of what will likely be many in his career in Orlando. And then, of course, I want to set the scene for all of you listeners moving forward, because what we're all asking as tennis fans, you know, about a month and a half until hopefully we get the start of some action in Australia. Of course, that is still up in the air as well. But the question we're all asking ourselves, now what do we do? You know, there's only no more ATP WTA action. Of course, there are still challenger and ITF events going on across the globe. I'll preview. Those on this show as well, but I do want to talk a little bit with you listeners at the end about what sort of content you can expect from our Cracked Rackets team this offseason. Uh, but of course, the reason we are able to bring this podcast to you all day in, day out, cover all of the action through what was a fascinating 2020 season is because of the support we get from you listeners, because of the support we get from our Patreon family, and of course, because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. And look, for some of us, maybe the tennis we're playing in our own personal lives, that's the only tennis. We're going to get for the next six weeks and that might be okay because who doesn't love going out on the court and playing a little bit. And should you have any equipment needs, you need to update your gear to get the most out of your tennis. Be sure to turn to our friends at MidwestSports.com. You go to their website. You're going to find everything you need from a tennis equipment and clothing standpoint. You use our promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your order free two day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. And of course, best of all, a free can of Wilson extra duty tennis Balls, so be sure to go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. Of course, if you need to up your nutrition game, get that extra five percent out of yourself on court. Turn to our friends at AeroBart, the only tennis-specific energy bar in the business. More potassium than a banana. Delicious cinnamon, honey, oat, and chocolate chip flavors. And of course, best of all, it comes with a podcast. our getting to the point? Episodes focusing on the importance of nutrition and fitness in the modern game. We've had James Blake. We've had Jay Berger. We've had so many different guests. Uh of course it is always great uh to get to do those shows the way you can support our friends at Aerobar go to aerobar.com order yourself up a case of bars use the promo code cracked15 and remember we like to say it here all the time look good feel good play good Midwest Sports, Arrow Bar, Crack Rackets. It's a lifestyle, folks. That's how we like to live. Uh, I promise you all will enjoy that as well, but let's enjoy the tennis that we got to saw this re- weekend. Let's regale, reflect upon the final matches of the ATP 2020 season, and let's start with that phenomenal final. Of course, again, it was Daniil Medvedev coming back from a setdown on this occasion to knock off Dominic Team 4-6-7-6-6-4, and let's start just with the basic facts. There were two breaks of serve in this match in total. Medvedev got broken in the first set. Dominic team got broken in the third set. And sometimes indoor tennis can be that simple, right? Because uh, if you can hold serve, it's that much easier. The conditions are so stable that you're in complete control of your serve. It's why we see guys like a Raonic, like an Isner. Obviously, when they're playing indoor events, they have that much more of an advantage. And sometimes it's worth remembering. Daniil Medvedev, is 6 foot freaking 6 and you look at what Medvedev has accomplished during this 10 match run he is on through Paris and the year end finals i did some math circa our friends at tennis abstract shout out to them for the help the neil medvedev uh, over these past few weeks he has won 82.2% of his first serve points during this 10 match win streak again 82.2%. His worst performance was a 74, excuse me, a 73.8% performance that he put forward, I believe, in this tournament. I want to say it was against Novak Djokovic, but I mean Look, if the worst you're doing is 73.8% of your first serves, you're winning 73% of your first serve points, you're doing well. Now, during that same stretch of time, he's also won over 50% of his second serve points in all but two of the matches, Uh, and one of those matches was against Diego Schwartzman, so I think it's not rude to say we can throw that one out as he won it in straight sets, but... Look, in this match, that trend continued. Medvedev made 60% of his first serves, and won 77% of those points. And it was just the way he was attacking off serve. It was going big down the tee, taking the space away. When he went big out wide, drew a slice from Dominic Teams' backhand on the ad side, he would serve and volley to take the space away. And that was just a constant trend. You look at Daniil Medvedev, and obviously the thing stands out. He's a grinder, right? Through every sense of the word. He's going to track down every extra ball, he's going to chip. He's He's going to slice, he's going to, you know, slap down the line, he's going to throw moon balls at you, he's going to throw short angles at you, again, it's going to be low, it's going to be flat, it's going to be a different ball than the majority of these pros hit, and yet, it works, right? You watch him swing on an inside-out forehand, you're like, that ball defies physics, there is no reason that ball should land inside the court, and yet, it it almost like slides away from the team backhand, again, it's an inside-out forehand in every sense of the word, and, he's just so disciplined, so patient, and particularly when he's locked in, like on this occasion, you know, sometimes when Daniil Medvedev plays a lesser opponent, he gets a little slap happy, or he gets a little, uh, or lackadaisical, I suppose, is the best word to turn to, and he'll start going down the line, or going for risky shots, but in this match, he just locked in, he tracked down every ball, and look, for the first set, he didn't hit the ball, you know, he wasn't hurting Dominic Team, and when I say that, I mean, look, Medvedev wants to be playing in the outer thirds, right, he wants the match to get impromptu, he wants it to go off of instinct, he wants his opponent to be hitting from uncomfortable positions, and then when he's on the run, that's actually when he's at his best, but the problem for him was he hits that on-the-run forehand, and it hung up enough that Dominic Team had clean looks at down-the-line forehands, or down-the-line backhands, had opportunities to move forward and be the aggressor. And through the first set, it worked for Dominic team, Now, it required an immense effort, right? Because even when Dominic team would go big down the line, Medvedev can track that ball down and sometimes he'll dip that passing shot low at your feet so that he gets a second look at a pass and that's what he wants to do best, dip at the feet then, have you hang a drop volley and he puts that ball away and we saw that plenty of times. But Dominic team, as he has all tournament long, was firing off of both wings to start this match and really, he did an excellent job. I thought he played a lot of backhand slice in this match, and surprisingly, it broke Medvedev's rhythm, right? You think Medvedev's the one who wants to play off speed, who wants a match to get funky. No, Medvedev wants you to hit him heavy topspin so he can just bunt down on that ball, play flat on the backhand side, and the slice gave Medvedev struggles. He would float a ball, or again, he would slice back, and then Team has enough time to run around that ball. Now he gets to play inside in or inside out forehands. Now the match is on his racket, and look, Dominic Team. Made seventy three percent of his first serves in this match. He won seventy four percent of those points. But so much credit needs to go to Daniil Medvedev for a couple of reasons. A, it's the most impressive part of his game. Back to back matches against Rafael Nadal, against you know uh, Novak Djokovic in round robin play, and now even here against Dominic Team. He just wore his opponent down physically, and I mean, you could see it in Dominic Team's legs. I thought, uh, I thought he just got a little bit flat, it became a little bit more difficult for him to get to that ball in the corner and rip through it, as opposed to slicing it back to Medvedev, and then, you know, Medvedev, in that case in point, the, the wide variety of options he can skill set he has available to him, uh, the wide variety of options he has available to him due to his skill set. That was the sentence I was looking for. Hey, great shot. Leave it in, Westoff. That second set breaker, what was it? The 5-1 or maybe it was the 3-1 point, the 4-1 point where he hits the slap backhand return on the rise on the ad side and uh, returns in volleys behind it and has a first uh, forehand volley cross court put away and he serves in volleys during the second set. He serves Volleys during the third set. You look at this 12 aces for him in this match. He's over 55% on the second serve as well. Daniil Medvedev just has so many different options to hurt you with. And look, this match was absolutely. It was a chess match. It was who can adjust, who can disrupt the rhythm of the other opponent. For Dominic Team, it was staying disciplined and, you know, again, waiting to find the correct ball to go big down the line with. Because if you go down the line too soon, Medvedev's going to track that ball down. He's going to hit the on the run passing shot or, again, dip it at your feet. And he had a lot of success doing that. And I just think he wore Dominic team down in this match. Now, Medvedev made his own adjustments, started slicing his backhand, and had more success with it as the match went on. But just, again, the most impressive thing was how physical he made this match, how he really just does seem to get his racket on every ball, force you to hit that extra shot, and over the course of three sets, it adds up. I mean, look, this match was, what, 2 hours, 42 minutes? Medvedev just... He was the fresher player at the end. And, you know, he was able to make things just a little bit easier for himself. 24 44 on second serves for Medvedev versus 14 of 32 for Dominic Team. And,. Look, Dominic team was right there, right? I mean, he had plenty of chances, had four break opportunities, was only converted one of them, but it was clear this match was on Medvedev's racket in the third set. He had nine break chances, now only was able to convert one of them, and again, that break came early in the third and was able to hold on to it, but... I mean, how can you watch Daniil Medvedev and be anything but impressed, right? You look at what he accomplished with this result here against Dominic Thiem, and as I mentioned before, it's his 10th straight win uh, here uh, in November to end his 2020 season. He becomes only the fourth player in history to beat the numbers 1, 2, and 3 players all in the same event. He joins Boris Becker. Novak Djokovic and David Nelbandian on that list. That comes from at only Roger Can Fly, but of course that was a stat that was circling tennis Twitter a bunch yesterday. But obviously, when you join Becker, Djokovic, and Elbandian, that's some pretty good company. You know, some of the other things, he's the first player to go 0-3 in his ATP Tour Finals debut in 2019, and followed that up by going 5-0, and and winning the event the following year. Of course, he joins Novak Djokovic as the only player to go winless, and then win the event this following year. Djokovic went winless in 07, won it in 08. Medvedev obviously does that here, that comes from at ATP Media Info, but I mean, you can can go on and on in terms of what Medvedev has accomplished with this victory. He's the first player in the 51-year tournament history to defeat the top three players in the world in the same. You know, at the year-end finals, uh, it's just so impressive, right? It's just for Daniil Medvedev. It's the skill set. It's the fact that he really wasn't that good through the first half of the year. You know, I think what was it a fourth-round loss for him at the Australian Open, something like that, and then uh, you know he came into. Uh, he came into August just without that much momentum. I mean, yeah, you look at his results from earlier in the season. They, considering how he ended 2019, considering his hard courts to start the year, you know, he was fine at the ATP Cup with Russia. But then, Australian Open, yeah, fourth round, five set loss to Stan Wawrinka. That's fine, but he probably expected to do a little bit better. Then he lost to Vashik Pospisil. He lost to Jill Simone. And look, that's just not the start he was expecting. But now, you know, quarterfinals, uh, Uh, in Cincy quarterfinals, uh, excuse me, semifinals at the U.S. Open. Didn't have the best clay court season, but now he ends with these Paris Masters and year-end championships, and, you know, someone was pointing out the math given the protections right now in the year-end rankings. Over the next year, I think it was from Tumani Carriel. he still has, you know, uh, City Open Championship. He still has Rogers Cup Final. He still has Cincy uh, Masters Championship points. He still has U.S. Open Finals points. Now he has all of those points that he got from winning all those indoor tournaments in Russia and in Asia at the end of last season, Shanghai Masters points, then year-end championship points. Given how little he has to defend because he gets to protect all those points at the back end of his record for one more year, and given that, you know, Wimbledon, the clay court season, again, so little to defend, there is a very realistic possibility, not guaranteed, not significant but realistic, I would put it in the 15 to 25% range, that Daniil Medvedev reaches world number one at some point in 2021. The math is just in his favor, and if he makes a quarterfinal at the French Open, if he rips off a couple of good results in Rome, in Madrid, now of course all of this presupposes that we have a 2021 season, and all of that is still up in the air. We'll talk about that plenty this off season, but the math is in his favor. He could legitimately reach world number one. Dominic Team has points that are more spread out across the course of the season, so it's a little bit more difficult for him. But the, for Medvedev, because his points are so backloaded, mm, 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 something to add absolutely watch as we get ready to head into the 2021 season. And of course, again, for Daniil Medvedev, he becomes the fifth straight player at these ATP year-end finals to win his first crown at the event. You look over the past five years, Murray, Dimitrov, Zirev, Tsitsipas, Medvedev. It's the first time in ATP tournament finals history that it's been won five years in a row by a first time champ here. The two other times it reached four times. It was Orantes, Jimmy Connors, John McEnroe, Bjorn Borg in 76 through 79, just in case you listeners have forgot. Connors, McEnroe, Borg, they did some pretty cool things. The next time it happened, 10 years later, 89, 90, 91, 92, was Becker, Edberg, Agassiz, Sampras. Oh, yeah, you know, just what? 30, 35 plus grand slams between the four of them. Now you have this Dimitrov, Zirev, Tsitsipas, Medvedev, Murray in 2016. That was a product of other things, but you have this little uh, group winning five in a row as well. I mean, generational shifts, folks. We say it enough on this podcast. If these numbers, if these names, if these historical parallels don't jump out to you, uh, make the case why they don't. Obviously, Nadal, Djokovic, still the two guys to beat at the slams. No one is disputing that. Every other event, though they're vulnerable. I mean, they are. Look, Rafa blitzed through the clay court season, but he also lost to Schwartzman uh, in Rome before that. I mean, Djokovic won the Western Southern Open, but he looked vulnerable down the home stretch. And for years, they never looked vulnerable. And so, come on. At a certain point, yes, uh, we talk about the math being on their side. The math is definitely on their side. At the same time, mother nature, father time, whatever you want to call her, she's undefeated. And so... I don't know, man. 2021, I think things are going to get really, really interesting. Uh, Of course, that is something we will all be talking about plenty this offseason, so we can hold those thoughts for then. Just quickly want to talk about uh, the semifinal matches we saw. Let's talk a little bit about Dominic Team. I feel like I didn't give him enough love, but Dominic Team. I mean, in the semifinal, he outplayed Novak Djokovic. He was the better player in the match. The stats reflect that fact. 50 winners against 39 unforced errors for team, 23 winners against 27 unforced errors for Djokovic. You look at the net, Dominic Team, 16 of 17 at the net. Novak Djokovic, 9 of 18. You look at the first serve conversion rates. Djokovic, a little bit better on the first serve, 85% first serve points won, but Dominic Team was over 82%, and then team, 53% on second serve points won. Djokovic, 45%, Dominic Team gets the 1%. Break of this match that happened in the first set and look this match was a slugfest it was a battle Djokovic in the outer thirds Djokovic testing Dominic team Djokovic just you know re- resisting all of Dom- or trying to take be the aggressor trying to pick on the Dominic team backhand side doing a really good job with his first serve again down the teed out wide playing plus one tennis but Dominic Thiem was the more athletic player, he was the fitter player, he hit the ball more explosive, he had the biggest weapons on the court, and he was disciplined enough to to withstand the barrage uh, that is Novak Djokovic mentally, physically, right, Djokovic, just going to try and wear you down. Dominic Thiem was unfazed, and it was so impressive to see him perform in this way, particularly for Dominic Thiem, that he lost that five-set Australian Open final to Djokovic to get the victory here. It was outstanding tennis, and right, Djokovic fought off, what was it, four match points or three match points in the breaker in the second set, and played some outstanding tennis, and you felt to yourself after he won that breaker, oh, this feels like that Gael Almonfis match that we saw earlier this year, I think, in Dubai, or just feels like Djokovic, whenever he's been able to pull out that one tiebreaker in the match, that he just kind of rolls from there, right, I think he was 17-1 and in tiebreakers at the, after that point in the season, but then, Dominic team down 4-0 in that second set breaker, just starts playing aggressive, just you know, forehands down the line, backhands down the line, just was not afraid and has some complete confidence and is in complete control of his game right now, and again, he took it to Novak Djokovic, and this was an ATP World Tour semifinal. This isn't a, you know, round of 16 match at some ATP 500. This is a tour, semi-final, Novak Djokovic, every incentive to bring, you know, the A game, to bring the A effort, and you could see him start to get frustrated with himself throughout this match, and it's because Dominic team was probably the better player, and Djokovic understood that, and he was like, wow, I can't remember the last time this happened to me against someone not named Rafa or Roger, and it's a credit to Dominic Team who we've talked about enough this week. I just wanted to say he was spectacular the way he went down the line again. The adjustments he was willing to make, his his confidence to hit through the backhand return as opposed to just slicing away and letting Djokovic play plus one tennis controlled the direction of points. It was a really phenomenal performance from Dominic Team, and then just quickly we've talked about Medvedev, enough, 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 but for him against Proft, are you kidding me? Like for Medvedev in that match, just to go down, what was it, a set and 5-4, Nadal serving for the match and he just survives. He just made that extra ball. He made the match physical. His first serve was such a weapon within the match and you look at, again, the numbers for Daniil Medvedev on that occasion. Medvedev against Rafa, uh, I mean just so successful on the first serve during the match. Once again, he made 70% of his first serves 44 of 57 on those points. Uh, hit 13 aces. For Nadal, he once of his first serve points, but he only made 56% of his first serve. So, you know, both guys under 50%, but Medvedev 20 of 25 on second serve points, Nadal 19 of 51. And because he had to play so many points on the second serve, that meant Medvedev could take forehand down the line returns on the deuce side or just aggressive and he created 11 break point chances for himself he got the 4 breaks he needed to Rafa's 3 sometimes you just have to be good enough and Daniil Medvedev survived he made the match physical again and Rafa just didn't have enough juice in the tank in the 3rd and it's so fascinating uh, to watch that dynamic unfold because in 3 out of 5 sets it feels like Rafa and Djokovic are just on another level fitness wise compared to these young guys and yet in these 2 out of 3 set matches you see both Medvedev and team successfully. And of course, it's the end of the year, so take it with a grain of salt, but successfully wearing these guys down. and So again, absolutely just something to note as we head into this offseason, as we all wonder, can these guys get over the hump? Can these guys uh, continuously knock off the Djokovic's and Nadal's and then establish themselves at the top of the game at the Grand Slams? It's something we will continue, of course, to talk about this offseason. But with that in mind, let's talk a little bit quickly about the challenger action we saw this past week. Oh, I should also quickly mention for the year-end final, shout out to Kulhoff and Mekic. Uh, Mekic, the first Croatian to win the year-end finals. Kulhoff, the fourth Dutchman to do it in doubles. Of course, for these two, it was their first title uh, together, and it was their last tournament together. So, you just got to love ATP doubles—you gotta love when that happened. And Jamie and I talked about it a little bit on today's deciding point, but it was a really high level of play. ATP tour doubles—just it felt like every match. And Westhoff can fact-check me if he'd like, but it felt like every match there was a third set breaker. I think there were five or six throughout the course of the event. And again, that just shows the parity between these teams so thin. If you are a fan of professional doubles, and we absolutely are here at Cracked Rackets, you will very much enjoy those highlights. So be sure to go check them out uh, wherever you. Can Can, but all right, now to the challenger stuff. Let's talk about them quickly. Brandon Nakashima, the 19 year old American, wins his first challenger title this week in Orlando. The youngest American to win a title since Francis Tiafo in 2017. The youngest American to win a title without dropping a set since Taylor Fritz in 2015. And the second American, along with Sebastian Corda, to win a challenger in November. And look, Brandon Nakashima has been a long time coming. We talked about him so so much so much so much this summer. We got the chance to speak with him at the altix Steislinger exhibition uh, back in Miami in July, and you know we got to see him play his one year at Virginia, former world number no. two junior, uh, and it, it's just the skill set. I mean, there's not a lot he can't do on the court, and he's never going to beat himself. He's solid mover, solid power, really nice backhand that can absorb pace, and he had to do that against Diego Montiero, against Mackie McDonald in his quarterfinals and round of 16 matches, Uh, of course, then against Mitchell Kruger and Pranesh Gunaswaran in the semifinals and finals, Uh, he got to dictate. I mean, his ability to move the ball side to side, again, his ability to... understand the patterns of his opponent and disrupt those patterns and then just I think he continues to develop weapons as well that serve down the tee in particular on both the deuce and the ad side it is getting better and better and then what he does with the plus one forehand off of those balls in particular I like the plus one backhand better because I think he does a better job of taking that ball early and I still do wonder because he doesn't have the biggest natural weapons but he does such a good job of absorbing pace playing to the speed of his opponents and not being overwhelmed by that, that I think he adjusts moving forward. But I would like to see just a bigger weapon so that when he plays, you know, the the Yuri of the world, the players as you get towards the top 80, 70, who just have these massive serves and these things that can just make life so much easier for themselves, Brandon definitely needs to find a way to make things a little bit easier for himself, but, I mean, how can you be anything but excited with this result, he's just so rock solid off of both wings, in terms of his floor, I just don't see how he doesn't get to the top 100, because again... I feel like so rude for making this comparison. But you look at a guy like Radu elbot Brandon Nakashima does everything Radu elbot does right now, and I just think he's going to continue to get better. I think he's going to continue to develop weapons. He becomes a better and better volleyer, and it happened really quickly as well. You can tell his coaches have drilled into him. Brandon, you have to be willing to move forward because of how much space you create with your ground strokes if you can take time away at the net. That's the next missing piece that perhaps makes up for your lack of huge pop on the ground strokes, right? You're not going to slap a Delpo for down the line but you're going to make it with the same margin and sure your opponent will have half a second more to track that ball down but now you're at the net and you're knocking that volley away do you see how I played out that full conversation that's what I would say I suppose to Brandon and I think his coaches are as well so evidently it is working for him and now he's up to about 165 in the ATP rankings I mean I'm sure he thinks it. The goal is top 100 at the end of the next complete season whenever it may be and it's realistic because he won a set off Zverev at the U.S. Open. He's shown that sort of level. Way to go, Brandon Nakashima. You were absolutely phenomenal this week in Orlando. A title well-earned and a reason, again, we should all be getting excited about Brandon Nakashima because I promise you uh, we are going to be talking about him a lot over the course of 2021 and for however long we are doing these podcasts here at Cracked Rackets. Of course, again, I mentioned some of the other names, Gunaswaran, a really good week for the number four seed uh, as he gets wins over Eubanks in the semifinal, Popco in the quarterfinals, uh, of course, knocked off uh, Wu in the round of 16 as well. Some other notable performances for Chris Eubanks, I believe it was his first semifinal since like Knoxville or Tallahassee in 2018, and I mean, he looked really, really good. I don't, I don't know how else to say it you know for Chrissy banks six foot six six foot seven very skinny still but the pop he has on his serve and his forehand and his movement looked significantly better his footwork to get around and be able to hit the inside in inside out forehand I thought his drive on the backhand was particularly good his backhand returns were holding up much better than they were he's still confident moving forward I think in that quarterfinal match against Dennis kudlow which he won in three sets he saved something like 16 of 18 break point opportunities uh, for Kudla and so many of them were with just big first serves and again a huevos that it takes to hit that plus one forehand when you're down break point inside in he had no problem clearing the highest part of the net and just he played confident and he looked really really good doing it he looked athletic it just the movement looked developed the way he was able to find the plus one forehand I was so impressed and look Nakashima, not Nakashima excuse me, uh, Gunaswaran sort of just stayed the course uh, in their match, and both of them had multiple break point chances. I think there were, what, two or three break chances each, or two or three breaks for both. I think Gunaswaran had three breaks of serve, Eubanks was able to break twice, and, you know, you don't love to see that for Chris Eubanks, because the best version of him means he's getting broken at most once a match. Uh, but he he continues to make strides clearly, and I thought he—I I, just—I love the way he was striking the ball. I love the confidence, which was, he was playing. Again, it didn't matter how windy it was in Orlando. His ball cut through all of that. Great result for him. Great result for Mitchell Kruger as well. Wins over for Tangelo Richard to get to the semifinals. Good way for him to end his season. You know, Mackie, Kudla, they continue to roll as well. They look good heading into 2021. Look like guys who should certainly be back in the top 100, but really fun week of action in Orlando. Elsewhere, we had the challenger in Italy. It was Ilya Avashka. 7th, 6th in the 3rd over Antoine Huang. I believe that match was played on Sunday. Uh, it was a fun, you know, for Huang, a bunch of 3-set wins for him. 3 sets over Lent in the quarterfinals. 3 sets over Muller in the semifinals. He was riding the wave. Uh, and unfortunately for Avashka, just too much heat uh, for Ilya. And you look for Ilya Avashka where he is at right now in the rankings. Avashka, nice stretch for for him down the uh, down the end of this season, back up to number one oh seven in the live rankings that's twenty seven off his career high of eighty, but certainly a guy who looks poised to get back inside the top one hundred during twenty twenty one and then our last result, of course, the action over in Ecuador it was Surandolo. Uh, a three-set win over Andre Martin six four three six six two to win the title. He knocked off Bania in the semifinals. Jaume Munar in the quarterfinals. So certainly have to say Serendolo earned this one. And for Serendolo, you look at where he is at now in the live rankings. What this win means for the twenty-two-year-old Argentinian. He's up to number one sixty-two. That is a new career high for him. Again, we talked about Nakashima's new career high, one sixty six at nineteen years old. To be one sixty two at twenty two, not too bad. As we say, certainly when you're winning your first challenger titles, uh, that is a step forward. And we will get to see Surendolo play once again this week, as we have two challengers going on. In uh, one of them, in Brazil, uh, I believe that event is going on. If memory serves me correctly, I think the Brazil match is the hard court. Uh, Tournament. It is the hard court event there. You've got Kiroz, Popko, Safwat, uh, Vicovic, You've got Sakamoto in action. You look at the draws here this week. Your top seeds are for this event in Brazil. I believe I don't want to get this incorrect. Yep, number one seed is Thiago Montiero. The number three seed, Mohamed Safwat. The number two seed, Thiago Sabathia. The number four seed, Emilio Gomez. So it should be a really fun week of play. And then of course the challenger in Lima, which is on the clay here this. This week should also be a really good one. You look across the draw. Who are our top seeds here this week? Number one seed Federico Correa. Number three seed Andre Martin. Number four seeded Jaume Munar. And the number two seed Roberto Carbea bena So, should be another fun week of professional tennis, which we will be covering here at Cracked Rackets. But, What else should you be watching? What else can you expect from all of us here this week? Well, as I mentioned, our latest episode of The Deciding Point recapping all of last week's action in the pro tennis world can be found on our YouTube channel, of course. We will still be mini-breaking day in, day out, uh, and ace of the day as long as we have challengers and futures to talk about, but we will start slowly shifting into off-season mode. What does that mean? It means on the college tennis front, we've started our college contender series. Hopefully, you've all heard our conversations and previews of the University of Georgia, University of Michigan, Michigan, Michigan and the University of Florida. Uh, we had the chance to speak with the head coaches, Manny Diaz, Adam Steinberg, Brian Shelton. You can find all of those episodes on our Cracked Interviews podcast. Of course, in terms of what we will be doing for professional tennis, look, we've talked about it. I've alluded to it. We're going to restart our Next Gen series where we talk about these new young guys, 21 and under, not the Next Gen, not my generation of Next Gen, but truly the Next Gens, and we're going to bring in some of our new writers to help do that, help talk about it on the podcast. Of course, Jamie McDonald, Matt Stokowiak, and all of our wonderful guests we will try and talk to players journalists about the biggest storylines the players will be watching most closely all of those different things i would highly recommend or you know we did a lot of it in the off season too and we are you know it feels like that off season wasn't that long ago because we had a five and a half month hiatus during this 2020 season but you know we'll talk about the next gen guys we'll do our tiers we'll do a state of the union on american tennis we'll again talk about whether there will actually be any tennis in 2021 given what's going on right now with tennis australia we'll talk about the ptpa we'll talk about all of the issues confronting tennis and yeah we'll talk a little tennis as well over the next six weeks so hopefully you all stick along with us again If you've missed any of the action, you can find it all on our website, CrackedRackets.com. As always, I will ask you, like, rate, subscribe, review to this podcast, The Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews, and Inside Out Podcasts. Of course, if you need those more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Figner and Daniel Westhoff for the of an adding job they do day in day out making all of our content possible shout out of course as well to our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar go to MidwestSports.com use the promo code CR15 go to Aerobar.com use the promo code Cracked15 but with that in mind for our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar our super producers Fligner and Westhoff and all of us here at both Cracked Records and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network I'm your host Alex Gruskin you know what we say that's the break and we will see you all tomorrow thanks